Hey there, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Kaderna podcast. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna, and as always, thanks for joining us. So as this whole coronavirus pandemic continues to linger on, and we've got some states opening up, we've got other states shutting down, you know, we're wearing masks, we're not wearing masks, it seems to be kind of all over the place, and no one really quite knows how this is going to unfold. But in spite of that, there's certain things in life and in financial planning that continue to move on. And one of those is the reality that we all need somewhere to live. We need a place to hang our hat and call home. So with that in mind, what we're going to talk about on this week's episode is that age-old question, to own or to rent. So over the past several decades, it's really been marketed as the American dream to become a homeowner, to one day buy a place of your own. And when I sit down with a lot of my clients or any young professional or millennial, and I say, hey, you know, what are some of your financial goals? Where could I help you out? Without fail, you know, becoming a homeowner is at the top of that list. I hear it pretty often. And having said that, over the past 12 years as a financial advisor, I can't really recall any time I had somebody list as a top goal that someday they'd like to rent. They want to be a renter at some point. So why is that? Why does that come about, that dichotomy between owning and renting? If we look at uh, the statistics, according to iProperty Management, there's right now just over 136 million homes in America. Over those uh, 136 million, or of them, 36% are actually rented. So how come there are so many tenants out there? Is it a question of financial limitation? Or are there people out there that just prefer to rent? And I have, you know, my practice has missed all those folks uh, over the past decade. So let's take a look at that. But before we dive into the pros and cons of both scenarios, I just want to refresh everyone's memory on if you go all the way back to our pilot episode here, the podcast, you may recall what I call the five pillars of financial planning. And just to refresh you, number one is protection first. Number two is build liquidity. Number three is manage debt. Number four is to accumulate wealth. And then number five was to maximize growth. So as we look at both of these scenarios, to own or to rent, keep those five lenses in mind and let's see you know, where does this play out and where does it fit with those ideals. So let's start with home ownership. So why do people buy a house? I think most folks you talk to will kind of tout that two-pronged benefit of one, I've got somewhere to live, obviously, but two, I'm also building an asset. My money that I pay is actually going somewhere for my benefit that in the future I'll be able to perhaps cash out on and use it truly like an asset. So having said that, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, if we go back to 1980, the median home price was $47,200. If we fast forward to today, 2020, the median home price is $320,000. So right there, obviously, you can see that growth that homeowners have perhaps realized. And according to the Black Knight Report, the real estate report, it shows that historically real estate has appreciated at an average rate of 3.8% annually. Okay, So if we think about that 3.8% and we say, well, is that good or is that bad? 
if we take into account, you know, traditionally what the rate of inflation has been, which hovers around 3% or so, uh, then we can compare that. And that's where you'll have that homeowner say, hey, I've got a place to live. And I'm also kind of funding an asset that's at least keeping up with or perhaps outpacing the rate of inflation. Even if we look at, a, you know, another area of the country that has the highest median home price, a little trivia for you, that would be in San Jose, California, where today their median home price is a whopping $1.2 million. That's the median. So just look at that, that growth, and uh, there's certainly an argument to be had for that. But what we have to think about is, one, these are all averages, these stats that I'm rallying off to you, or rattling off to you. Okay, if we look at that 3.8% that the Black Knight report, you know, had quoted, but then we actually look at over this 40-year period I referenced, the growth rate for real estate from 2000 to 2020 is about four times that of 1980 to 2000. So bear in mind, these averages are all just a snapshot in time. And somebody that sold in 2000 could realize a total different scenario or outcome than somebody who perhaps is selling in 2020, okay? So we have to keep these things in mind that life is often all about timing. So if we think about that from a financial standpoint, so I know buying a home can be very emotional, you know, emotionally driven, and there are emotional decisions and financial decisions, but if we just wanna look at the economics right now, and you're saying, hey, it's like a forced savings plan at the same time that, like I said, one day I'll be able to cash out on when I downsize in retirement or sail off into the sunset, and I'm actually gonna get money back. Let's look at it from that standpoint as a savings mechanism and say, okay, well, exactly how efficient is it? So what we could first start with, step number one in buying a house is typically gonna be your down payment. So if we take that magic 20% number and 20% down or 20% equity is usually what's going to avoid PMI or private mortgage insurance, which can be an additional fee you'd get hit with every month. So if 20% is the, the uh, rule of thumb we want to base off of that often gives you the best mortgage options, well, on our median home right now of 320000 that would be equal to a down payment of $64,000, Okay. So that is a $64,000 contribution directly towards your asset. But there's another factor when we actually buy the house, and that would be the closing costs, okay? That could be comprised of everything from appraisal fees to attorney review to title insurance and a, a host of other items. But typically, according to the mortgagereports.com, that will average about 2 to 5% of the purchase price. So if we said, all right, well, let's use 3%. We'll kind of be in the middle of our median home at 320. We're talking about closing costs of about $9,600 that we have to bring to the table. All right. That $9,600 is a contribution that is not towards our asset. Okay. So we must bear that in mind. Then once we get through that procedure of actually buying the house, then of course we have to pay for our mortgage. So let's look at uh, just a quick equation here, um, which you can, there's a lot of different mortgage calculators out there that you can utilize. Uh, I happen to use one through bankrate.com. And so with that house we just referenced, putting that 20% down, and then assuming today's national average interest rate of 3.35% on a 30-year fixed rate mortgage, and plus we'll add in 1% for property taxes, 
okay, 1% of the home value. Um, that's a hypothetical. If you're in my home state of New Jersey, we've got the highest property taxes in the country at 2.13%. But then there's states like Hawaii, for instance, where their property tax is 0.3%. All right, those figures are according to USA Today. So again, we'll kind of go in the middle with 1% of the home value. And then in addition to that, you're also going to have your homeowner's insurance, uh, which on a, a house of this size, 320000 we just picked a $2,400 annual premium. Again, that number can vary widely based on location, you know, your history of claims, and so many other factors. But I think that that's a fair estimate. So if we tally all that together, now we're having a projected payment of $1,594 a month. Okay. So if we extrapolate that over the next 30 years, and even if we assume that property taxes never go up and that insurance premium never changes, over those 30 years, we will have paid $573,840 just to service that loan, okay? Because remember, we put 20% down, we financed 256,000, but that 256, actually cost us over $570,000 during that 30-year period, okay? So once we, you know, look at all that math, in total, we've paid $647,440 for a $320,000 property, okay? So in summary, $320,000 was contributed towards our asset, the down payment, and our principal, but aside from that, there was even more. There was $327,440 contributed not towards the asset, but rather that went to lender's interest, taxes, insurance, closing fees, etc. Okay, So we have to take that other, in this case, almost half of our payments into account when we say, hey, it's a savings vehicle, but now we're looking at almost half the money that we paid actually never went back into our world uh, but rather it went elsewhere, okay? Now, granted, there can be some tax advantages to those other, uh, you know, contributions I mentioned of property taxes or mortgage insurance. So that may or may not hold value depending on your situation. But we want to think about that. Now, in addition to, like I said, property taxes, interest, fees, insurance, etc., there's also some other incidental costs of homeownership that I think any homeowner will be very well acquainted with. And so if we look at what a lot of the experts say, for instance, uh, HSH Associates, uh, who are mortgage and real estate experts, they project that the cost to upkeep a house are typically about one to 2% of the home value. So again, assuming our $320,000 home, that would be about $3,200 to $6,400 a year just to maintain the house. Okay, could be fixing the roof, the windows, the plumbing, the electric, you know, little additions or renovations here and there. Uh, those certainly add up. And then last but not least, one other hidden cost, if you will, uh, that will not go into your own pocket is on the back end when it actually comes time to sell that property. All right. The closing costs are relatively low compared to the buyer uh, where you may just have some transfer taxes, recording fees. Uh, prorated taxes or insurances, a couple other small items. But the big thing is going to be the realtor's commission. On average, that's about 5% of the sale price 
uh, that then would be split to both the buying agent and the selling agent. And the seller is typically responsible for that 5% commission. All right, so that will come out of any proceeds there. So in closing, yes, do we have a place to live? Certainly. Are we building an asset in our portfolio? Yes, you are. But are there a lot of other costs in the form of servicing the debt, taxes, insurance, fees, uh, just maintaining a home uh, that also perhaps drag on that asset? And yes, we do have to acknowledge that. Okay. So then on the other side of the, uh, the debate here, we of course have to rent. So let's think about renting. So why do most people kind of, you know, poo-poo renting or uh, not list that as their top goal? I think the, the, the harshest criticism is the fact that you're guaranteeing a 0% rate of return on your contributions. Right? If we're renting somewhere, all that money is going to the landlord so that they can pay down their mortgage or so they can pad their bank accounts. But the tenant is not receiving any financial benefit from that. They're just having a place, of course, to live. Okay, so I think that's kind of the, the biggest thing that maybe irritates tenants. But again, if we're looking at it, well, the other option is to buy a place. What are our pros and cons here? To buy a place, I just mentioned the out-of-pocket on a median home of $320,000. Pretty significant, right? It was 20% down. And then in addition, you know, almost $10,000 of closing costs in that hypothetical scenario. To rent a place, if we look at the national average today, according to the Yardi matrix, that is a monthly rent of $1,463. Typically, the only thing a tenant has to put down is a security deposit, which is usually about one and a half times your monthly rent. Okay, So that would mean about $2,194 cash down on your average rental. Okay, So we're talking about $2,100 versus almost $75,000 in the previous example. Now, tenants are also usually responsible for some utility payments, which of course the homeowner would be, but usually they're relieved of some HOA or homeowners association fees. And of course, those maintenance costs are usually, you know, responsible to the homeowner. So the tenant might say, hey, with more cash available in hand, I can deploy that to other areas of my financial plan or my life, or maybe I can invest it at a higher rate of return than I would achieve in real estate. Okay? For instance, the Dow Jones Industrial Average has averaged an annual rate of return of 7.7% since 1921. That's more than double what real estate has done. Uh, so we want to think about that as well and say, hey, you know, maybe do we rent and invest the difference or should we be the homeowner? Different schools of thought here. So what does it all boil down to with some of this information in mind? You know, I'm fond, fond of emphasizing the fact that financial planning is not a science. Oftentimes you're trading big mistakes for little mistakes. So with that in mind, I must be honest, I have seen a number of big mistakes in homeownership. All right, if we go back to our five pillars of financial planning, it's typically when buying that home got in the way of following our, our track there. All right, maybe we don't have the appropriate insurances already in order, or we can't afford the ones that we should have because we're working just to pay our mortgage. Or perhaps we don't have that rainy day fund yet. And we found ourselves in that situation of being house rich and cash poor. 
So then we can't, you know, afford the new furniture, the different things that we need throughout life. And so as a byproduct of not having that rainy day fund, perhaps either A, we can't capitalize on good opportunity, or B, we have to take on debt that we really shouldn't, perhaps in credit card balances that are lingering, because again, we didn't have the cash available, which brings us to the third pillar, managing debt. All right. It doesn't matter maybe perhaps how that, that home value is doing if we feel like we're being strangled by credit card debt that now we can't pay off because we just wiped out our savings or because our mortgage payment's too high. So those are some of the big mistakes I see where maybe now we have to move within five years, typically not advisable for a homeowner, or something happened to our job where now we can't afford the mortgage anymore. Or perhaps we bought this place, everything looked great, but now we've got to redo the entire foundation or you know, all the plumbing's out of whack and we've got to update everything throughout the house and now we're taking on tons of unforeseen costs. These are all some of the pitfalls of home ownership. Okay, so certainly lots of pros, but there are these cons to be aware of. Whereas again, big mistakes versus little mistakes, you don't really find a big mistake in renting. I have seen some little mistakes there where maybe it was in an area we didn't want or we signed a lease agreement for a year and then six months in we've got to move and we lose that security deposit. So things like that happen, but typically not life-changing accidents uh, by renting. That's the benefit. Again, yeah, 0% return, but sometimes it's 0% better than the alternative. Uh, for instance, that homeowner that has to move within three years and hasn't even made a dent in their principal, paid all those closing costs, all of that interest, maybe did some work to the house and now they have to leave and they're getting whatever the market gives them and perhaps that's where they could uh, take a big hit. Where that, that scenario would not play out in the case of the renter, okay? So we wanna keep all of these facts in mind and it's critical to vet the own or rent decision with those five lenses of financial planning. So I hope that this has been helpful. I hope that it can get you towards your goal, whether that is to continue renting or perhaps to retire, sell your place and rent, or maybe it is to become that homeowner, maybe a first time home buyer. But please keep in mind all of the different factors that should impact your decision. And if you do decide that you wanna be a homeowner, make sure that you're ready for it, okay? So that, in conclusion, is the great debate, to own or to rent. I'll let you guys take it from here, and if you wanna share any of your own experiences, please do email us at thecadernapodcast at gmail.com. I'm always appreciating your feedback, new ideas, new topics that you wanna hear about, and we are gonna get the guests going again, so if you have some guests that you'd like to hear from, please reach out to me and uh, we'll get our monthly guests back on track. I know that with the coronavirus pandemic in the summer, things have gotten a little bit out of whack in regards to that. Uh, but again, thank you for tuning in. I'm your host, Brian Kaderna. You just listened to another episode of the Kaderna Podcast. Go spread the good word and leave us a five-star review. Have a great week.
The Kaderna podcast is for informational purposes only. Individual situations may vary, and the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guardian and its subsidiaries do not provide tax, legal, social security, student loan, mortgage, or real estate advice. Listeners should contact their own tax, accounting, or legal advisors, or the social security department in this matter. All investments and investment strategies contain risk and may lose value. Brian Kaderna is a registered representative and financial advisor of Park Avenue Securities, LLC, PASS, 300 Broadacres Drive, Suite 175, Bloomfield, New Jersey, 07003. Securities, product services, and advisory services are offered through PASS, a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor. Nine 773-244-4420. Financial representative, the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, New York, New York. Passes an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Caderna Financial Team and International Planning Alliance, LLC, are not affiliates or subsidiaries of Pass or Guardian. Caderna Financial Team is a division of International Planning Alliance, LLC, a general agency of Guardian. Pass is a member of FINRA, SIPC. California Insurance License Number, OK04194. Content of the Caderna Podcast is copyright of Brian M. Caderna, all rights reserved. Any redistribution or reproduction of part or all of the content in any form is prohibited without prior permission from the Caderna Podcast. The views and opinions expressed herein may not be those of Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, Guardian, or any of its subsidiaries or affiliates. Guardian does not verify and does not guarantee the accuracy or completeness of, of the information or opinions presented herein. Any third-party materials referenced cannot be endorsed or verified by Guardian and are used as the opinion of the author. Guardian, its subsidiaries, or affiliates do not provide or issue or advise for mortgages. This material contains the current opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guardian or its subsidiaries, and such opinions are subject to change without notice.